0: African-Americans feel that they're treated when they're stopped by police frequently as suspects before they're treated as citizens. They
1: feel that way? I don't
0: think that that necessarily reflects deep-seated racism in police no. departments or in most police
1: departments. Of
2: offices. course not! Well, I don't know why I came here tonight I got the feeling that something right I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how i get down the stairs us to
1: the right here i am stuck in the middle with you from pacifica radio this is the broadcast, as heard on kpfk 90.7 fm in los angeles elsewhere in california on kfoi red bluff redding kkrn round mountain kgoe eureka in oregon on kyaq on the central coast kso and cottage grove kepw eugene In Lancaster, Pennsylvania, on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii, KAKU, Columbus, Ohio, WGRN, Palinville, New York, WLPP, Grand Rapids, Michigan, WPRR, New Orleans, Louisiana, WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico, KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire, WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas, KPSQ, in Seattle, Washington, we're on KODX. Janesville, Wisconsin, WADR, Minneapolis, St. Paul, AM 950, KTNF, and coast to coast and around the globe, streaming on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, No Lies Radio, Deprogrammed Radio, Verdant Square Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing the Globe five days a week is usually hosted by Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. But it's me again. (laughs) I'm Nicole Sandler of NicoleSandler.com, host of The Nicole Sandler Show, back in the guest host seat so that Brad and Desi could take a few days off for the Labor Day holiday. So if you feel like we're living through the insanity of wannabe King Donald, pay attention. You'll likely enjoy a new movie that just opened this week. It's called Unfit. The Psychology of Donald Trump. And in just a few minutes, we're going to speak with the producer-director of the film, Dan Partland. And yes, psychiatric professionals are diagnosing Donald Trump from a distance. But in this film, they explain why the Goldwater Rule really doesn't apply here. So stick around for that. And we've got a Green News report. Because even though Brad and Desi are taking a few days off they left us a new one. So we got that going for us today, too. But let's get started with a look at the day's news, because there's a lot of it. It seems that every day, the White House comes out with another gaslighting outrage, the latest in the form of a memo from the president directing federal officials to find ways to cut funding to a number of cities controlled by Democrats, citing violence amid protesters against systemic racism and policing. Trump claims the leaders of Portland, Oregon, Washington, D.C., Seattle, and New York City have abdicated their duties and are allowing anarchy, violence, and destruction. Again, Trump is laying all the blame for violence, rioting, and looting on the protesters from the left, ignoring the fact that the right-wing extremist groups like the Boogaloo Boys and armed militias are actively infiltrating peaceful protests intent on sowing violence and chaos. And another day, another story of a black man killed by police. This time it was in Rochester, New York, where the family of Daniel Prude is calling for the firing and arrest of the officers involved. According to video and records they released on Wednesday, Daniel Prude was detained by police after running naked through the streets of Rochester. He died of asphyxiation after a group of these officers knelt on him, put a hood over his head, and pressed his face into the pavement for two minutes. Prude died March 30th after he was taken off life support seven days after the encounter with the police. His death received no public attention until Wednesday when his family held a news conference and released the police body camera video and written reports they obtained through a public records request. Meanwhile, Attorney General Bill Barr said during an interview on CNN that he thinks the deaths of black Americans at the hands of police aren't racially motivated and that a false narrative has been created about their prevalence.
0: No, I don't think there are two justice systems. Let's, you know, I, I think the narrative that, uh, there's a, that the police are on some you know, epidemic of shooting unarmed black men is simply a false narrative uh, and also the narrative that that's based on race. The fact of the matter is it's very rare for an unarmed African American to be shot by a white police officer. There were 10 cases last year.
1: Seriously? The attorney general says that it's not necessarily racism when police repeatedly treat black people differently than white people?
0: There appears to be a phenomenon in the country where African Americans feel that they're treated when they're stopped by police frequently uh, as suspects before they're treated as citizens. Uh, I don't think that that necessarily reflects some Uh, uh, deep-seated racism in in police departments or in most police officers.
1: Wow. Well, when Wolf Blitzer pressed Bill Barr to back up his statement that black people aren't disproportionately targeted by law enforcement, well, you just have to hear it for yourself.
3: You've said you don't believe there's systemic racism in the justice and our in our justice system in the and among the police but you did say this you you did say i do think it is a widespread phenomenon that african-american males in particular are treated with extra suspicion and maybe not given the benefit of the doubt
0: that's what i just said
3: but doesn't that sound like systemic racism
0: no to me the word systemic means that it that that it's built into the institution uh, and I don't think that's true. I think our institutions have been reformed in the past 60 years. And if anything has been built in, it's a bias to non-discrimination and safeguards against that. Uh, and so uh, that's what I'm reacting to on systemic. And also, I think we have to be a little careful about throwing the idea of racism yeah. around. L- let's Ra- racism uh, usually means you know, that I believe that because of your race, you're a lesser human being than me. And I think there are people in the United States who feel that way, uh, but I don't think it is as common as people suggest. And I think we have safeguards to ensure that it doesn't really have an effect uh, to someone's future. I think we've made a lot of progress in the past 60 years. To listen to, 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 listen to the American left nowadays, you'd think we've gotten nowhere after uh, well, There's
3: no doubt there's been a lot of progress, but do you think black people are treated differently by law enforcement than white people?
0: I think there are some situations where statistics would suggest that they, they are treated differently, but I don't think that that's necessarily racism.
1: The attorney general also disputed the idea that the criminal justice system treats black people more harshly, which research broadly shows that it does. Perhaps Barr would make better use of his time as attorney general in stopping the president from committing felonies, like what he did on Wednesday when he advocated that his supporters commit felonies. Yeah, while in North Carolina on Wednesday, Trump directed his followers to vote twice, once by mail and again in person.
0: If you get the unsolicited ballots, send it in and then go make sure it counted. And if it doesn't tabulate, you vote. You just vote. And then if they tabulate it very late, which they shouldn't be doing, they'll see you voted and so it won't count. So send it in early and then go and vote. And if it's not tabulated, you vote. And the vote is going to count. You can't let them take your vote away. These people are playing dirty politics. Dirty politics. So if you have an absentee ballot, or as I call it, a solicited ballot, you send it in. But I would check it in any event. I would go and follow it
1: and go vote. The problem is the attorney general is complicit in that crime. In that same CNN interview on Wednesday, Barr backed up Trump's false conspiracy theory that the November presidential election could be tainted by widespread mail-in voting fraud with absolutely no evidence or even one fact to back up his assertion
0: the ability to monitor this system is, is, is not good and, and if it was so good if you tried to vote a second time you would be caught if you voted in person that, that would be illegal
3: least, if they did that if somebody mailed in a ballot and then actually showed up uh, to vote in person uh that would be illegal
0: i don't know what the law in the particular state says you can't vote twice well i don't know what the law in the particular state says and when that vote becomes final is there any state that says you can vote twice well, there's some, you know, maybe that you can change your vote up to a particular time. I don't know what the law That's is, so I'm not going to offer.
3: He was saying test the system. Well, does you know, well, he you know believe, what he's saying, why he are you asking me what he's saying? He doesn't believe in the mail-in voting. You're, you're the attorney general of the United States. Why does she you? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, you are the attorney general. How about you act like it? But it wasn't only the attorney general who wouldn't contradict Donald Trump's assertion that his sycophants should vote twice when asked about it in the white house briefing room Press Secretary Kaylee McEnany wouldn't go there either.
4: Do you acknowledge that it is illegal in this country to vote twice in the same election?
2: Are you referring to the president's comments earlier today? I'm just asking you a basic yes or no question. The president do, does do you not, believe it
4: is illegal the to vote twice the in this country?
2: The president does not condone unlawful voting. Uh, the president's been very clear about this. I'm um, once again not surprised the media is taking the president out of context. Do you recall what the president said on this matter specifically? I, I, have,
3: I have it right
4: here. Sure. Okay,
2: maybe you should read it out for me.
3: Okay, so the, the, the president
4: said that, that you should go to your poll, you should vote early by mail and you should go either uh, early voting or day of and try to vote again. So he is asking people to vote by mail and then to go down to the polling place on election day and to vote again if their vote has, if, if they can't confirm their vote has been counted.
2: You are missing a very crucial line from the president's remarks. If it is not tabulated, meaning your mail-in vote, then you will be able to vote in person. If it is not tabulated, you know, there, this there, there is are
4: why at least five states in this country that, that do not count any mail-in votes until election day.
1: There's just no reasoning with a person who is not reasonable. And then there's this. The Department of Homeland Security withheld publication of a July intelligence bulletin warning of a Russian effort to push allegations about the poor mental health of Joe Biden. The draft bulletin was submitted to the Department's Legislative and Public Affairs Office and was never intended for the public, but it was supposed to be sent to federal, state, and local law enforcement agencies. But an hour after it was submitted, the Department of Homeland Security's Chief of Staff asked officials to, quote, hold on sending this one out until discussing it with Acting Secretary of Homeland Security Chad Wolf. The report was never distributed, even though legal analysts had high confidence in the assessment. House Democrats have vowed to investigate. The House Oversight Committee on Wednesday subpoenaed Postmaster General Louis DeJoy for records about the widespread mail delivery delays that have come about due to the changes he implemented. The subpoena comes after Committee Chair Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney said DeJoy has not sufficiently answered the panel's requests for more information. On MSNBC... Thursday afternoon, Stephanie Rule discussed this story with reporter Jeff Bennett.
4: House Democrats say that DeJoy hasn't produced a single document or record since his congressional hearings two weeks ago, so they're moving forward with this subpoena. But I got a statement in response from a Postal Service spokesperson. It reads this way. It says, We remain surprised and confused by Chairwoman Maloney's insistence on issuing a subpoena to the Postal Service in the midst of an ongoing dialogue with her staff on the House Committee on Oversight and Reform to produce information in an orderly fashion. We fully intend to comply with our obligations under the law one question i have though is if they don't comply how will house democrats enforce this subpoena we all remember during impeachment the unprecedented ways in which trump administration officials really thumbed their noses at subpoenas the postal service doesn't get tax dollars so democrats can't withhold funding in fact right now they're fighting to give the postal service more money and house democrats haven't shown a willingness to enforce something called inherent contempt which would mean Finding or even jailing administration officials who don't cooperate.
5: Jeffrey, I have the same question. This administration takes subpoenas and throws them in the garbage. Let's see what Democrats are going to
1: actually do with them. Well, she does have a point there. Considering a three-judge panel of the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals just ruled that Congress does not have the authority to enforce their subpoena for former White House Counsel Don McGahn, is there any way to enforce a congressional subpoena? In Donald Trump's world, all bets are off. Unbelievable. In other news... The German government has concluded, following toxicology tests, that Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny was indeed poisoned with a chemical nerve agent from the Novichok group of Soviet-era chemical weapons. European leaders, including the UK's Boris Johnson and Germany's Angela Merkel, condemned the poisoning and implored Russia to provide an explanation. Merkel saying there are very serious questions now, which only the Russian government can and must answer. Donald Trump, despite spending a good portion of the day attacking his political opponents on Twitter, remained silent on the subject. And then there's this story kicking around under the radar, but deserving some serious attention. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo announced new sanctions against two members of the International Criminal Court. It's the Trump administration's most aggressive move yet to try to derail an ICC investigation into possible war crimes committed by U.S. military members and intelligence officials. And although the administration is seemingly doing nothing to stop foreign interference in our elections, Facebook has announced plans to block new advertising the week before the election. This is the first time the company has taken any action to limit political advertising in the U.S. This move is an attempt to reduce misinformation that's expected to flood social networks as Election Day draws near. Speaking of the elections, the Commission on Presidential Debates has announced its lineup of moderators. And for some reason, they awarded Fox News the first one because they've been so fair and balanced. Anyway, Chris Wallace will moderate the first Biden-Trump matchup in Cleveland on September 29th. C-SPAN's Steve Scully will moderate the second one happening October 15th in Miami And Kristen Welker from NBC News will moderate the final debate on October 22nd in Nashville. Susan Page, the Washington bureau chief of USA Today, will moderate the one and only vice presidential debate between Senator Kamala Harris and Mike Pence on October 7th in Salt Lake City. And finally, it seems like a pattern emerging in which a Democratic administration builds the economy up and a Republican administration comes in and destroys it. The U.S. government debt will exceed the size of the economy in the 2021 federal fiscal year for the first time since World War II, this according to the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office. The federal debt hit 98 percent of the nation's gross domestic product in the current fiscal year, which ends September 30th due to the government's massive coronavirus relief spending. Somehow, the borrowing surge hasn't panicked investors who've continued to prop up the U.S. stock market, which closed at record highs on Wednesday. It's also depressing, isn't it? Well, let's move on. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever find yourself wondering about Donald Trump? What is wrong with him? If so, you want to listen to our next guest. Dan Partland is the producer-director of the new film called Unfit, The Psychology of Donald Trump. We'll talk to him in just a moment, but first let me give you a little taste of what some of the experts in the documentary say about the <clears throat> commander-in-chief. Donald Trump
6: shows clear signs of the most severe personality disorder. It's called malignant narcissism, and it was first introduced by Eric Fromm, who escaped the Nazis and spent a lot of his life trying to understand the psychology of evil. And he formulated this diagnosis of malignant narcissism, which has four components. Narcissism, paranoia, antisocial personality disorder, and sadism. I think everybody knows Donald Trump's a narcissist by now. I will be the greatest jobs producer that God ever created.
0: I know more about ISIS than the generals do, believe me.
2: Who are you consulting with consistently so that you're ready on day one?
6: I'm speaking with myself, number one, because I have a very good brain. But it's the other three components that make him truly dangerous. Because many politicians are narcissistic, but he's also paranoid. So all of his crazy conspiracy theories. The state of Hawaii released my official
4: long form birth certificate. The birth certificate was produced in 2011. You continued to tell the story and question the president's legitimacy in 2012, 13, 14, 15. Yeah. How about this one about Ted Cruz's father?
0: His father was with Lee Harvey
4: Oswald prior to Oswald's being shot, and nobody even brings it up
6: and his sense of being a victim.
5: Mr. Trump turned his sights on Google,
2: tweeting, they
5: have it rigged for me and others so that almost all stories and news is bad.
6: And his demonization of anyone who disagrees with him.
0: Nasty guy. Now I know why he doesn't have one endorsement from any of his colleagues. All right, John, I get Pick from the buffet there. He's a
6: nasty guy. These are all signs of a paranoid process antisocial personality disorder, or what used to be called psychopathy or sociopathy. It's constant lying. Well, he's the most documented liar in human history, I think, at this point it's violating the rights of other people and exploiting other people. So sexual assault would be violating the rights of other people. Uh, Not paying your bills or defrauding people through Trump University would be an example of exploiting other people. And it's breaking laws and breaking norms. Well, he's broken every norm of the presidency. That's one of the reasons he's so out of control. There are certain norms you thought no one would ever break. But it's part of his personality disorder to break norms and to break laws. And it's a lack of remorse. He has no guilt or anxiety about the destructive things that he does.
0: Impeachment for that? It was beautiful. It was just a perfect conversation.
6: And the fourth component that Eric From identified is sadism. Truly taking pleasure in harming, humiliating, and degrading other human beings. If you read his tweets, I wrote an introduction to a book about his tweets. I had to read thousands of his tweets. And they literally made me ill because it was just one vicious attack on and humiliating insult after another, after another. It's like, how can someone even come up with thousands of vicious things to say about so many people? But he enjoys degrading. And humiliating and insulting other people. I do think that we have enough evidence that most psychiatrists would feel like
0: it's important to warn about Trump. We have a duty to warn.
1: Yeah, we're done playing games. This is serious business. We'll talk with Dan Partland next. I'm Nicole Sandler, your guest host today, filling in for Brad and Desi on the broadcast.
5: bradblog.com slash donate. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And thanks. My analyst told me
7: that i was right out of my head he said i need treatment but i'm not that easily led he said i was a type that was most inclined when out of his sight to be out of my mind and he thought i was nuts no more
1: if surrender but welcome back to the broadcast i'm Nicole Sandler, filling in for Brad and Desi today dan portland is the producer and director of a new film that opened everywhere on demand on Tuesday called Unfit, The Psychology of Donald Trump. It's an important film at a time when the nation is deciding whether or not to return Trump to the Oval Office for another term. I think it's a no-brainer. I believe all of the evidence of his lack of fitness for the highest office in the land is apparent. But for those who need a bit more convincing, this is the film to watch. So Dan Partland, Unfit, The Psychology of Donald Trump. That's what you explore in this film.
7: We left the title broad because there's a lot of different ways to look at fitness for office. It's true that the focus of the film is on psychology, but we really came to it from that perspective of starting out wanting to explore Trump's psychology because everybody was following the news in the early parts of 2017 and 18. There was immediately an endless stream of scandals and There was obviously something that connected them, but it seemed like that was not being really discussed in the news. The news seemed sort of incomplete, that we took each one as a new event that came along. Um, And so the effort was to try to go a level deeper that the 24-hour news cycle has trouble with and get a broader picture of what is actually driving all these scandals. So the film starts out actually looking at... Trump's psychology, the psychology of the man himself. But ultimately, that's not all that interesting or even that important. The other layers that it gets into um, that was really part of our discovery in making the film is the psychology of the electorate um, that put him in power and then ultimately, really, what the film uh, ends up with is a real look at the psychology of authoritarianism and what mm. leads the world in that direction.
1: And, that, that, and that's certainly a topic that we need to get to because of obviously everything we're living through. But to get to this point, um, a lot has been made. Look, anybody, any reasonable person watching Donald Trump and how he... Uh, interacts with people, whether it's citizens, constituents, if you will, or leaders of other nations realizes that there's something off with this man. There's something not quite normal about the way he interacts with people. And you talk a lot in the film as the director, not you personally, but the film, um about the issue surrounding the idea of, diagnosing someone's mental state without seeing them. But this actually comes from a a policy of the, uh, I guess, the American Psychiatric Association or the medical community based on um, sort of armchair diagnosis of a a prior presidential candidate in Barry
7: Goldwater? Absolutely. So the APA, American uh, Psychiatric Association, Um, issued guidelines in the wake of a bit of a scandal back in the 1964 election. It wasn't settled until the early 70s. But um, basically, some uh, mental health professionals in the run-up to the 1964 election um, did some sloppy armchair diagnosis of Barry Goldwater as unstable. It really wasn't true. Um, The truth of the matter is they were... Um, not practicing uh, the science very well, even in the even in the standards of the times, um, which led them to make wild speculations
8: mm-hmm.
7: uh, about things that you really couldn't know about. This became known as the Goldwater Rule, and it was really designed, I think, with very good intent. It was designed to keep from politicizing um, politics. Uh, I mean, politicizing mental health in politics. Um, And it was designed to um, it was designed to keep people uh, disciplined, really, in terms of not speculating about people's inner emotional life if they didn't have access to that patient in the clinical setting. But the in modern diagnosis, some of the best diagnoses are made from observing observable behavior. Mm -hmm. And when you're looking at observable behavior, that's actually more valuable. Um, in naming some and understanding some pathologies, some disorders. And so I think um, what what was very interesting going back to where we started is that what was missing from the news was this discussion. And I realized as we dug into this that the reason it was missing was that the APA did, in the run-up to the 2016 election, issue – a new gag order reiterating the Goldwater rule because they they feared this coming. Hmm. And the reason they did this, I mean, you'll have to ask them, but it certainly seems, uh, the reason they did this was they understood that this was going to quickly become politicized. And honestly, they were afraid of political retribution. Um, As soon as it enters the political realm, there's always that possibility. Um, A lot of dollars, resources devoted to mental health, public attitudes about mental health, um like everything else can be politicized and polarized and they really didn't want to wade into that area the problem was it denied the public the full knowledge that um, this that mental, mental health and um, psychiatry could provide
1: right now there also was the thing that in 1964 um we didn't have 24 seven. Cable news cycles. We didn't have cell phones with video cameras on every person. We didn't even have tape recordings constantly going. We didn't have the kind of access to a presidential candidate then as we do now. Now, if if anybody would desire it, I guess you can get Donald Trump almost nonstop, twenty four seven. Back in nineteen sixty four, it wasn't that way. So we didn't have as much information. I mean, now. You can find out more than anybody ever needs or wants to know about Donald Trump. You couldn't necessarily get that much information about Barry Goldwater it wasn't that readily available and I think some of your experts in the film unfit make the point where we have so much information on him we have we can we can observe him, we can hear his words, we can analyze him very easily from a dis- without having to meet with him one-on-one we've got a ton of information to work from am I stating that correctly Were there, absolutely. there reasons?
7: absolutely I think I think that um, you know the clinical setting is is good for some kinds of diagnosis but when you have actual you know, think about a clinician sitting in an office asking questions having a conversation with a patient mm-hmm. very very hard to know what if, what they're reporting is accurate. Um, you really don't A clinician usually doesn't get access to all kinds of av- evidence right. on camera, on Twitter, on, you know, in the press and all that of what they of how their patient is actually doing. So they're always kind of reading between the lines. In the case of Donald Trump, there's so much that's on the record. It's so abundant that I think it, it's rather easy to observe and reach some conclusions about um, about, based on the observation of his behavior. I did want to say one other thing, though, which is that I think the issue of mental health is kind of one of the next big issues that the culture really has to grapple with. I think we have to grow in our sophistication of it. I think that, uh, you know, we've had major reckonings on on a bunch of different things in recent years. Me too, we're having one about race right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the mental health one is coming and I think it's very important that the public starts to acquire appropriate language for talking about.
1: You're absolutely right. And even I think something that a lot of people haven't even, um, uh, haven't understood yet because it's not in our faces yet is this whole COVID experience with all the isolation Depression is is uh, in epidemic proportions right now. We may not see it to the extent and that anxiety. it's out there. But, and anxiety, because people are alone. A lot of people are stuck at home alone, and they're isolated. And what I'm hearing is, I, I read a statistic the other day where... A, a ridiculous number of people have seriously thought about suicide in the last seven days um, th- because this whole experience we're going through, and I'll, I'll throw Trump into the mix, along with COVID, along with the, the financial uncertainties and everything else that's coming out of this, is is driving a lot of people into mental illness And we haven't even begun to cope with that yet. So putting aside the Donald Trump question, this is this is a coming disaster that we're not we're not there yet.
7: Absolutely. And that's why we have to get the right language for talking about it. Um, We don't want to weaponize it. We don't want to stigmatize it. I don't even want to stigmatize Donald Trump, to be honest. I think that he's a sick man. I mean, I I feel like, you know, you've got to just think about what we're dealing with would you really want to be Donald Trump like in his skin? I mean, no. this back to one of the, the roots of the film is that some people, we saw right away that some people saw Trump and they saw in him a strong and decisive charismatic leader and others saw a mess of, of anxiety and insecurities. And we really wanted to understand why that was. I think it is a question about um, emotional intelligence. You know, it's not, I don't even think it's a question about, about education or anything like Mm -hmm. that. I think some people read psychology really well and some people see the facade and don't really see beyond it. When I see Donald Trump, I see the guy is a mess. I feel so bad that you could have all that he has and still be so desperate for approval that to, that you go to the lengths that he goes to, to constantly have his ego stroked and to affirm his, 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 um, the image of himself that he wants to believe in.
1: Well, that you know, goes to uh, and again and now now we can get into the diagnosis. Again, we're speaking with Dan Partland. He's the producer director of the new film called unfit. I watch it and it, yes, it's important and I'm glad you have a lot of doctors, psychologists, psychiatrists and people who know Donald Trump and have worked around him weighing in. Um, uh, one of the one of the doctors, I think he's a psychiatrist, uh, Justin Frank, has written a few books about the mental uh, state of some of our presidents and he's weighed in on, on Donald Trump too. One of the diagnoses that keeps floating around um that, that they talk about in the film is malignant narcissism. And um even those of us who are not steeped in the technical uh medical terminology know narcissist. He's a classic narcissist, but you have real psychologists and psychiatrists saying he has exhibited these specific traits. And malignant narcissism is a really, really serious one, a scary one.
7: It is a scary one. I mean, it's it constantly, it's more of a syndrome. It's a constellation of different traits and people, frankly, have different, um, different versions of how they, um, diagnosis and talk and diagnose it and talk about it. Um, but it was originally a diagnosis that came out of really the aftermath of World War II mm. and trying to understand Hitler yeah. and trying to understand the evil that went on there. Um, and it is, a, there's a strong case made in the film that Donald Trump is of this sort of personality type. And people are very, very, you know, there's, people are, are very sensitive about Hitler and Nazi comparison for good reason. Really upsets a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the common thing that people say is like, this is absurd. You know, look at what has Trump done? You know, I mean, Hitler was responsible for the deaths of millions of people and of course that's true i don't think anyone is suggesting that donald trump today in 2020 has done anything like hitler or the other you know uh, guys in the pantheon of, of fascists um but what we're talking about is hitler wasn't hitler in 1922 mm-hmm. in 1922 what was being written about him was a lot like what was being written about donald trump In 2016, it was the public coming to grips, trying to understand um, where this was coming from and how this guy worked and his following was building in in a a very similar way. Now, I don't think that Donald Trump has the capacity to uh, do anything like what Adolf Hitler did. That's not the point. The point is that these this personality has the capacity to do tremendous damage once they have built this kind of circle of confusion about who they really are and what they're really doing. He's following the time honored, what what is commonly called the authoritarian plate. It starts with undermining the press, hollowing out the bureaucracy because if, if people don't know what's true anymore, you can convince them of anything. If the bureaucracy is hollowed out, then the people who hold leaders to account are no longer there anymore. Uh, going after political enemies taking over the judiciary yeah one by one trump not necessarily by plan i suspect by instinct by by his intuition of to constantly consolidate more power has really followed these things and as we're moving into the 2020 election i think that that a lot of the pillars of our government and our institutions have been undermined in a way that could make this election act, Whatever way it comes out, um, a really, really confusing and and divisive moment. Well, it's it
1: certainly will be. I mean, putting everything else aside, just look at the actions and statements of Donald Trump today. I mean, he is setting up uh, to contest to make illegitimate the election because he believes he's going to lose because all the writing on the wall looks like he's going to be. He, he he's going to get destroyed in November. So he's setting it up so that you don't trust voting by mail, that the election's going to be rigged. Now, remember, he said that in 2016 as well until he won. Then you never heard him say the election was rigged again. But up until the moment he realized he won, he kept talking about how the election was rigged. Well, he's doing it again now. A good example is from just last week. The House Oversight Committee hearing of the new Postmaster General Louis DeJoy, trying to tell us that, you know, red is blue and up is down. Um, and he's not trying to slow down the mail delivery while they're slowing down the mail delivery. This is a phenomenon that you discuss in the film Unfit called gaslighting. And I'm really glad you bring it up because this is a, tac- a-, a tactic that Donald Trump. Employs all the time. It's things like, um, well, that just didn't happen about something that absolutely did happen. Um, I liken it to I I I say they're telling us the sky is green. You and I know it's blue, but they keep insisting it's green to the point where when I go outside, I look and I'm almost embarrassed that, that I, I almost am going to say it's green because everyone's telling me it's green and maybe I'm the crazy one. Gaslighting, you explain in the movie, and I just want to play this clip, if that's all right, from the film that talks about uh, the phenomenon of gaslighting. Here we go. It's from the film
2: Unfit. Gaslighting is a crucial tool of abusive personalities, it is lying to someone in a way that makes them doubt their own perception of reality. I'm Dr. Romani Devasala. I'm a professor of psychology. It's an interesting place where the origin of this term gaslight came from. It came from a, what was a play in the thirties and then became a film called Gaslight. And it was about a man who was slowly trying to drive his wife mad.
5: Moment ago, the gas him, as it does when someone turns on another light in the house. Did you turn on
2: another light, Elizabeth? No, ma'am. There's no one in the house but us. The gas lights kept getting turned up and down, and he was denying having done it.
0: You're going to see a doctor, ma'am. Nope. More than one doctor tomorrow morning.
2: Very common sorts of gaslighting statements are things like, it never happened that way, you must be losing your mind. Um, they'll literally say things happened that didn't happen. I didn't do that, I didn't say that. Many people call gaslighting a form of emotional abuse because what you're really doing is setting out to confuse another person. When you confuse someone like that, you really do almost render them more vulnerable to you and actually easier to coerce because now they don't really know which way is up. It's as though you've sort of turned gravity off and turned them upside down. Uh, A
1: clip from the film Unfit... That opens this weekend um, uh, about gaslighting. And but they said it all in there and they're doing it right now. In fact, Dan, they're they're trying to paint us as where we're stepping over the line by saying that after Charlottesville, Donald Trump said there are very fine people on both sides. It's exactly what he said, but they're trying to reframe it. It's that's not what he was saying at all. It's exactly what he was saying.
7: Yeah, it's quite shocking. I mean, what what's interesting, I think, is is how relatively easily that was achieved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's a it's a product of our polarized time and the fact that we're all getting our information from these different silos. And if you're watching a network that is only you know talking about it in a certain way, um, then it's easy to. It's easy to influence um, the public into believing that, you know, hey, all the voices that we have on this network are saying the same thing. Right. Um, And, you know, across the political spectrum, the the siloing is happening, and that is making it harder for us to have common shared understanding. I would just, you know, I, I... we have to encourage everybody ourselves and each other to get our information from a diversity of sources and to look all over the place and then compare them and see which one you think is more faithful to what's happening because there's a spin to anything. You can find a way to spin it, but is that is that an honest spin?
1: Hmm. Um, is mm-hmm. it a fair
7: spin? Right. Um, and, you know, again, spinning out into a lot of different issues that are destabilizing the, the culture right now, but it's. I think our information systems have become terribly, terribly polluted, contaminated with misinformation, and it's an outgrowth of something we thought was great and democratic. Right? That everybody, um, social media, modern technologies, everyone had a megaphone. You don't. There are no barriers to entry to publishing in the way that there used to be. The problem is that puts everybody's voice. The good side is it puts everyone's voice on the same plane, and the bad side is that it puts everybody's nope. voice on the same plane. Huh. And not everyone's voice is equal. Some people are authorities and much better informed. And we've, um, I think, that we've eroded a lot of faith in institutions and in expertise. And without, uh, without, if you if you're ready to roll your eyes and, and dismiss experts, um, then you're free to believe whatever you want right and you're going to believe and, what, what all the people around you believe and we continue this pattern of silos
1: and and to that point dan partland you've uh, you've assembled a real slate of experts the people that you have throughout the film and i noticed dan your um, twitter handle is duty to warn duty number two warn and there's a duty to warn coalition can you explain what this is about
7: Sure. Duty to warn um, is a concept, really. Um, It's a concept that has been around in the mental health community, which is that when they're aware of imminent danger, a mental health professional is supposed to report it. It's a ethical guideline. It's actually written into law in all 50 states in some way or another that a mental health professional has a duty. They have liability. If they see potential for danger imminent danger um that they need to alert the public this is really complicated because for the you know most of the history of this profession um what was really paramount was confidentiality and they didn't want it was considered that a psychologist could not go and tell somebody something that a patient had said under any circumstances so this issue with Trump and the duty to warn is a really complicated one because what they're doing, what mental health professionals are doing, is commenting on publicly observable events and putting it together with their expertise. And even in the American Psychiatric Association, this is regarded as an unresolved ethical dilemma. Um, there is genuinely a need to to um, honor confidentiality, to not politicize politics. On the other hand, there is also, and it is isn't in, enshrined in law, the obligation to warn the public when they are aware of imminent danger.
1: And that's what uh, I think this film serves to do. I, I, although I, I'm guessing most people watching it understand the situation we're in right now and i'm guessing that's one of the reasons why you did this made this film uh dan partland the movie is called unfit the website is unfitfilm.com where you could watch the trailer and some other clips and get more information about it it is open now well (laughs) available everywhere
7: streaming on all on demand platforms oh awesome so and home and everything.
1: I highly recommend it. It's it's frustrating, it's infuriating, but it, it also has experts saying the things that you know you know, so you're not crazy don't let them gaslight you I've been screaming about gaslighting since he took office and this is a an idea that more people need to understand what they're doing I'm guessing you think that Mary Trump was right in in coming forward and she being a, a, a clinical psychologist as well to expose what she knows because she also has a duty to warn doesn't she
7: well absolutely I mean her her duty is is a kind of moral duty it's not a it's not a legal duty but I think this is a very dicey moment in American politics. And I think it's really calling for everybody to take a stand. And I also really think it's calling for everybody to have an open heart and an open mind. I think there's so much polarization, so much divisiveness. We've got families against families. I think whatever happens in the morning after the election, regardless of who wins, I think there's going to be a lot more turmoil. I'm oh, very yeah. concerned yeah. about this period post election until inauguration.
1: Um, but <laughs> to make I to make things wanna... worse, November 4th is my birthday. Just, you know. Oh, my goodness.
7: <laughs> Happy birthday in advance. Yeah, I would you. celebrate in advance. Yeah. To get that out of the way. Yeah, but, yeah, because but uh, coming maybe um, not going may be, be a difficult moment for the country. But look, I think the country is going to get through it. I think we're going to get through it. I think that we're going to pull together. I mean, I know there are people in my family. I have a lot of friends believe very deeply in Trump. I mean, a very important note in the film is that it does try to understand uh, the perspective of a lot of Trump supporters and why he's so meaningful to them and why they like him so much, why they believe him, why they get comfort from him and failings of our political system that he it was right to be talking about. And I'm glad that a spotlight has been focused on that. I think there are a lot of people who are just not being served by the status quo and they wanted to shake things up. They wanted to blow it up. I get it. I kind of want to also, but Donald Trump wasn't the way. Exactly. Um, It's happened. He's blown it up and now it needs to be put back together and we can do it. And we will, I think that the American spirit, you know, will, will rise. People will recognize these are my friends and cousins and they're not bad people. 60 Mm -hmm. million people are not bad people because they voted for Donald Trump. They saw something that they liked. And they voted for that. A certain number will vote for, for it again today. You know, I think even Hoover got 40 plus percent right. of the vote. Like <laughs> right. yeah. how elections go. Yep. But there's a better way forward. And I do think that the current president is, is a danger. He's a danger to our democratic processes and to our society at large. Couldn't agree more. Dan Partland, thank you so much.
1: Thanks for making this film. I think it's an important one and I hope people watch it. It's called Unfit. Go to unfitfilm.com and you can get all the information you need. Dan, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. I appreciate it. Thank you for
7: having me on. It was a
1: pleasure. Unfit, the psychology of Donald Trump, is streaming everywhere, as they say. I'm Nicole Sandler, filling in for Brad and Desi today. But before they left, they left us with another edition of the Green News Report. So stick around, that's coming up next on the broadcast.
8: Hey, this is Brad. What the public hears over the public airwaves matters. Without an informed electorate, we've got well, we got what we have right now. We do our best on the broadcast 5 days a week to balance that with accurate reporting on issues that actually matter. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell to do so. And we do it all independently and without the influence of corporate or political funding. But we can't do it without you. Please don't presume others will step up. We need you to help us keep doing what Desi Doyan and myself try to do every day on the broadcast. Please help us continue to do so by going to bradblog.com/donate to help keep the broadcast going and telling the truth over your public airwaves. That's bradblog.com/donate. Don't wait. Please stop by today. Thanks.
1: You've got to tune to the broadcast, usually hosted by Brad Friedman, produced by Desi Doyen, but they're taking a few days off for the Labor Day weekend. So you got me, Nicole Sandler, once again into guest host. But before they left, they left us with a new edition of the Green News Report. So, take it away, Desi and Brad.
4: There will be no peace, no justice, and no prosperity unless we stop the march to climate destruction.
5: Environmental champion Senator Ed Markey easily wins tough primary challenge. Trump administration racing to dismantle even more environmental protections Plus, this is
8: a company that
6: has lost $267 billion in market value in just the last
7: six
8: years.
5: A sign of the times, ExxonMobil dropped from the Dow.
8: All of those signs and more straight ahead from Brandblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And
5: I'm Desi Doyan.
8: Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. With just a few months left in his term, Trump is about to
0: let oil and gas companies go nuts. It's almost like he knows he's not getting the security deposit back on the country, so he might as well just see how much of it he can wreck on the way out.
8: Mission accomplished, this is your Green News Report.
6: This might be the first time Trump has destroyed the property value of a place without putting his name on it first.
5: I'm gonna soak up the sun.
8: Okay, Desi Doyen. Well, we just got slammed by two hurricanes in one week, and now There's a few more in the pipeline.
5: Oh, indeed. Hurricane Nana and... Nana? Yeah, Nana. Okay. And Tropical Storm Omar just became the earliest 14th and 15th named storms ever recorded. It's been a historic 2020 Atlantic hurricane season fueled by extremely warm ocean temperatures driven by man-made climate change. Neither of those storms will hit the United States. In the Pacific Ocean, South Korea is grappling with two powerful typhoon strikes in the span of just five days. What's
8: the difference between a typhoon and a hurricane?
5: Hurricanes happen around the U.S. Everyone else uses typhoons. Okay.
8: American exceptionalism.
5: In the Massachusetts Democratic primary this week, environmental champion Senator Ed Markey, a co-author of the Green New Deal, successfully fended off a strong primary challenge from moderate Congressman Joe Kennedy. In his victory speech, Markey urged young people to mobilize to push lawmakers to take action on man-made climate change.
4: There is no time for simply doing what we can. There is no time for compromise on the existential threat to our time. We must pass a Green New Deal.
8: It was bizarre to see Joe Kennedy III challenge him in the first place. Once again, it's another septuagenarian doing the right progressive thing. Hopefully it doesn't take another 70 years for the rest of the country to figure it out.
5: And, of course, it will require a democratically controlled Senate to even pass a Green New Deal.
8: Oh, yeah, there's that.
5: Meanwhile, an Associated Press analysis has found that thanks to waivers granted under broad special emergency powers that President Trump gave to himself under the coronavirus pandemic, more than 3,000 oil and gas operations and other industrial facilities have stopped routine monitoring and compliance with pollution regulations. Oh,
8: fantastic.
5: We're talking facilities like smokestacks, medical waste shipments, sewage plants, oil fields, manure pits, and chemical plants.
8: So I guess Donald Trump felt not enough people were dying from the pandemic?
5: AP also reports that new internal documents show the Trump administration is fast-tracking environmental reviews of dozens of major energy infrastructure projects in multiple states, including drilling and mining and hazardous fuel pipelines under Trump's special COVID emergency powers.
8: So by fast tracking the environmental review, that means ignoring it pretty much entirely.
5: Yeah. The Trump Interior Department this week proposed new rules to accelerate the expansion of oil and gas drilling in the public's national forests. The Trump Fish and Wildlife Service moved to lift endangered species protections from American gray wolves.
8: You know, it would be nice to blame this on Donald Trump, but every damn Republican in the U.S. Senate and the U.S. House supports exactly
5: the same thing. The Trump Environmental Protection Agency has finalized its rollback of Obama-era clean drinking water rules limiting toxic waste discharges from coal plants that are linked to cancer, birth defects, and brain damage. The rollback saves the industry tens of millions of dollars but passes the costs of pollution onto everyday Americans. The Trump administration is racing to dismantle public health and pollution standards as fast as possible to cement the rollback and make them harder to overturn should Trump not win re-election.
8: Well, I guess they had to be effective at something.
5: Finally, oil giant ExxonMobil, suffering from the crash in global oil demand due to the coronavirus, was dropped from the Dow Jones Industrial Average this week after nearly a century. <laughs> Not that long ago, Exxon was the most valuable and most profitable company in the world. CNN business journalist Matt Egan called it a sign of the times. Exxon
6: and all of the big oil companies, they have a climate change problem. Investors would much rather be betting on companies that are viewed as the solution, like Tesla, than on fossil fuels.
5: The Houston Chronicle reports that big oil is following in the footsteps of big coal. The five biggest oil companies only managed to pay dividends. To investors by borrowing money and selling off assets.
8: For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report.
1: And with that, we come to the end of another edition of the Bradcast. Brad and Desi, you're taking a few days off for the Labor Day holiday, so you got me instead, Nicole Sandler. I will be back for the next edition with a special interview with historian and author Rick Perlstein, whose new book, Reaganland, was just released. And it's a fascinating look back at the origins of today's modern conservatism. Oh, boy. In the meantime, I'll leave you with the immortal words of Brad Friedman. Until next time, good luck, world.